Listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live action role playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to our Patreons for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, Thin Bloods, grab a drink in your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, we are talking about horror themes in tabletop gaming and kind of like how we would want to work our favorite themes into games, why we use the horror genre to explore those themes and what some of our favorites are, how we maintain them through games, things of that nature tonight. But first I want to thank Rick and Mark for joining me. It's been a little while. Hello everyone. Mark, welcome to the 21st century. Thank you. (laughs) How was um, post-apocalyptic Connecticut? Well, I was, I was thinking to myself that um, we've reached the very uh, kind of, you know, prehistory phase of the quarantine, you know, the trad life uh, phase of the quarantine where we're churning our own butter and sewing our own clothes. And then a, I guess a tornado or a hurricane or a tropical storm kind of cut through Connecticut um, and or New York, depending on where I actually live and put about. 90% 90% of the state um, of the state's electricity down. So we were definitely living in the stone age for a couple of days, but it's cool because, you know, I have a pool. So you have a pool. You built a fire pit recently. You said you I built uh, a fire pit. cooked a dinner on it. I did. I, co- I cooked, I cooked dinner on, on the fire pit. I actually cooked pasta on it as well as an experiment, which did not go well. No, cooking pasta over an open fire is uh, takes practice, I will say. Well, and I also don't have a, I don't have like a cast iron anything. So I was yeah. really just taking whatever pots and pans I had and just, uh, I had like this little stand with a, with a grating on it and I was doing it from there. I mean, it was fun. Yeah, it works. <laughs> I, burnt, I burnt food though. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to teach you how to do some uh, campfire cooking. <laughs> Dude, I, we were talking about it the other day. You did send the invite. Hey, do you want to come camping with me sometime? And that's a resounding absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I, it's funny because I went camping this past weekend, which was amazing. Um, good escape. Cooked many things over a campfire. Uh, didn't burn any of them. Thank you. <laughs> good job. <laughs> this time. <laughs> this yeah. time. I have. I totally have. Um, but it was good. It was relaxing. I slept in a hammock one night, which was cool. Is that uncomfortable? No, it's super no. comfortable. Um, I, I haven't slept in a hammock since I was a teenager. You temperature matters more, um, unless you have an underquilt, <laughs> because because um, the holes. Because you're well, not that kind of hammock. <laughs> it's a solid hammock. But um, I'm 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 imagining you know, like one a of those like mesh, a mesh, <laughs> rope, rope. The mesh ones. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. This is like a sil nylon. Uh, it packs down to like a ball that big, super small, super tiny. Um, super comfortable though. But it's so the fabric's so thin that like you feel even with a sleeping bag because when you compress a sleeping bag, uh, you're not getting any insulation underneath you. All the insulation. Right, there's is no air inside. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so you need an underquilt that goes underneath the hammock that hangs there, which traps air, keeps it warm, and that's that helps regulate the air. So it was colder than like laying on an air mattress, but it was really comfortable, super comfortable. Well, I have a funny story. There's a uh, there was a guy who would come at the apartment complex that I lived in before we bought the house. Um, that he would, you know, ar- let me let me dial it back a little bit. This apartment, <laughs> this apartment complex was on a lake, mm-hmm. and there were trees lining this lake. So every time I would, you know, on the weekend I would go out to like take garbage out or whatever. Um, every once in a while, I would see this guy kind of hanging out on a hammock that he would tie between two trees, yeah. and he was about I don't know 50, 55 years old, maybe sixty years old, and. It- <laughs> he uh i guess would do this to get away from his wife and he lived about like five <laughs> doors down from me so he would go ah, i'm gonna go for a really long bike ride bring his backpack throw a hammock in there and then go to the part of the complex that he knew she wouldn't go and take a nap nice yeah nice <laughs> yeah i appreciate that kind of uh he's probably divorced creation. now <laughs> he probably is <laughs> there's like this huge tangent there's a huge subsection of like the the backpacking community who like hang hammocks in their home instead of beds <laughs> and All sleep right. in them what no yeah. why is it but, yeah but Comfort is that like and well, cost but space yeah too like new york yeah, yeah. that makes sense it's interesting it, there, it's a, there's a whole community of like hammockers and they're like they're like oh yeah no i sleep in my hammock in my house too and i'm like what are you fucking batman okay have fun <laughs> where is she <laughs> She's in the hammock. Where's the hammock hook? <laughs> uh, Rick. So, yeah, I was going to say, hey, everybody, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you also had uh, some exciting news from, what was it, Tuesday? Th- Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. So, uh, World of the Darkness, uh, Paradox, you know, the IP owners, put out a wonderful Vampire the Masquerade comic book. Yeah, so excited about this. Which I have uh, read and um, devoured, and it is very good. I've I've been a comic reader and a aficionado for almost all my life. And, you know, you're not quite sure how these things can sometimes go. I've seen a lot of IPs kind of miss the mark or oversaturate what they're trying to do. But this was perfect. This was done really well. And uh, yeah, no, totally loved it. Ooh. And fun little, fun little thing in the back. This is a non-spoiler review. Uh, they have character sheets on the <gasps> very back two pages of the characters. Some of the characters that are in the story. Yes, like full full stats. I, I shit you not. That's even, I gotta get these. That's even pretty back awesome. Back history. You gotta get these. I bought you copies. You yeah, I was gonna say the exciting news was you bought us copies of it too. <laughs> I know. Well, that was my that was my pretending to like help promote, but that's cool. They call me oh, out. I gotta I, get I gotta get one of those. You don't <laughs> say. I I, yeah, I gotta say though, it is really really exciting. They actually statted out yeah, some awesome. of the characters that you could play. Oh, how, like how many of the characters did they set out? Like two, three. So two. The the main character mm-hmm. for the. It's funny. The book is split into two stories. There is a Camarilla story and there is an Anarch story. That's dope. And cool. both are equally good in their own way. So they both had some really interesting concepts. One of which I don't think I've really seen before in any other VTM kind of thing, as far as someone dealing with a loved one, like a touchstone. It was very, very surreal 
Cool. And dark. So have you read Moonstone's um, comics? The the Vampire the Masquerade series? You're no, both are looking at me like you've never heard of this. I don't, yeah, no, so, I didn't even know there was a previous one. So I have them and they're wonderful. Cool. Um, but they're, they are slightly cheesy because it's 90s. Um, and it was around the time when um, White Wolf was blasting out anything. Like there it's were like Street Fighter, the RPG. Uh, yeah, kind of, but they were like, <laughs> yes, but they, they you remember, remember there was like uh, uh vampire, the masquerade lighters and like, oh yeah, There's yeah. So, much coasters. Wolf magazine too. so much merch. Well, it's white wolf magazine is what started the entire thing. Right. But this, so this, there was a company called Moonstone, which was only around for a very short period of time. And I'm pretty sure they had another vampire themed comic book, <laughs> which is a very cool comic about like this, uh, like band of biker vampire chicks that go around and wreak havoc. Like the Valkyries? Um, yeah, like the Valkyries. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why they chose this company, or I don't know, who knows? They're probably vampire fans to begin with. Okay. But it's, it's, you could find them. They're on Drive Through RPG. Um, cool. Don't know if they're available digitally. I would imagine so. But they're probably yeah, it's only available digitally at this point. Probably. I bought, uh, yeah, I've had mine for a while. Cool. Um, I you should not read know it. Check existed. it out for comparison. I'm, I'd be interested. To yeah, see. no, I didn't know. So the art is really good. The writing is on point. Yeah. You know, one of the writers um, was Tim Seeley, and that rings a bell. I'm not sure if he is a, you know, I should look him up, but I'm pretty sure he's written a bunch of comics for either Marvel or DC, some mainstream stuff. But I think he also might have used. Uh, oh, geez. Uh, TV show. G.I. Joe, Nightwing. Yeah, Tim Seeley's yeah. written a ton of stuff. He, uh, was the co-creator of Hackslash. Okay. I love Hackslash. <gasps> really? Yeah. So very good stories. And um, it looks like there's a different writing team on each Anarch oh. version and the other one. So you're going to get two different flavors, but both were great. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the Anarchs. It's just typically not what I gravitate to. Yeah, me too. For whatever reason. But the Anarch story, which included a Thin Blood, was actually, it got you very quickly to give a shit about each character Wait. and made them endearing and fun. So I'm just, uh, I'm, just I'm totally sit. stoked for the next one. Uh, and someone on Twitter, when I tweeted, Hey, this is great. There's character sheets. It might've been one of the writers or someone who's a developer. Right. Cause I recognize the name. They said, we have put fun little things at the end of each book. Awesome. So the way they made that little statement. I'm wondering if there's going to be lore sheets. I, I was about to say lore sheets. Oh, that would be so cool. Maybe something else that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, we'll the fact out. that they put NPCs or excuse me, um, character Sorry, sheets guys. in the back is, is pretty cool because you fall in love with it. You're reading the comic, you fall in love with it. Yep. And then you can play them. Yeah. And this is the first time regens have been released uh outside of fall of london oh uh, no there's pregens in the starter set never mind womp womp. well i mean uh you know in a tangible in a tangible offering yes because i'm pretty sure the starter set is digital non-tangible only. yeah it's digital only yeah cool yep good what else uh any other news any other think cool things going on this week Yes. So, 
keeping it in the world of darkness for the time being. For the time being. The Kickstarter for the card game Rivals oh, yeah. has come out. Uh, our buddy and a friend of the show, Matthew Dawkins, one of the writers for a lot of V5 World of Darkness projects, um, I think he put out a preview. Yes. Because he got to play it. Yep. It might have been through like a virtual means, but he showed some of the cards and things. And I think now that the Kickstarter is officially live, they've probably shown a lot more of it as well. So yeah. if that's something you're interested in, check it out. The artwork for this card game looks really dynamic, like right off of the table, looking at it from a little bit of a further way. It's not a bunch of font. It's not like a ton of writing mm-hmm. all over a card with lots of complicated mechanics. It looks very flashy and beautiful. So I'm I'm pretty psyched to find out what this is about because I loved games like The Princess Gambit and I am interested in the Black Chantry stuff. So, but hey, another game is um, right up my alley. So another thing, our dear friends at When Shadows Fall have mm. completed their Kickstarter. Over 300%. Holy mackerel. So uh, Neil, uh, congratulations. And his wife as well. Uh, yeah. That, uh, that game we did a one-shot of. I had a lot of fun with it. I think everyone had a good time playing. Hopefully that... Uh, that inspires a lot of other people to pick it up. Yeah, it's a an try. awesome game. And there is Neil and Haft Lost Pixie in the chat, who we actually had on a podcast episode. Uh, last week. Might be releasing Sunday, right? No, no that was last week's. This, oh, is, this, is, this is this Sunday's. <laughs> oh. So uh, check out that because the podcast is already out. Mm-hmm. Um, get to know both uh, Neil and his wife. They're fantastic people. and They have made a fantastic game. Yeah, that we are very really excited cool. about. It's a great system for telling horror stories. Mm-hmm. It's very intuitive, very easy to learn. Yep. And the best thing about it is probably that cool meta that he has created, that survival. Yeah, the meta lore is pretty badass. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so wish them all the best. Super excited to see what comes out of the Kickstarter and what might be on the line for them. Once they accomplish all these stretch goals, uh, it'd be fun to see what they do next as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, cheers, bravo. We want to run more of that game and see what else is in the pipeline. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, they came from Beyond the Grave. Uh, yes. It's still on Kickstarter. It's got like two weeks left, I think, as of yes, two, uh, earlier this week. Um but we will be doing a actual play one shot of it on Tuesday, the August 11th. I'm very excited to run and torture you all with. So <laughs> that that is still going. You should check that out if you want more games. Um, oh, there's so many good ones. I just heard about it and one coming up in September that looks pretty cool. Oh, what about the um, the Red Opera? Yeah, that's what I was talking about. The Red Opera. It's a um horror slash heavy metal infused uh 5e yeah scenario uh book that's that's comes out uh september 1st i'm pretty excited i want to take a closer look at that which is pretty cool um i was actually just it's um the lead developer is rick hines who um ran the how to not suck at tabletop at storytelling uh panel for vhc so that'll be pretty cool and um Alert! Oh, what else? There's a lot of so, stuff. 
going I'm on not right a, I'm not a huge fan of typical fantasy D&D type games or genres. I no. just traditionally haven't been. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give them a try because I've never officially really played one. Uh, as weird as that is, right? But this looks great. Yeah, uh, it's horror. It's inspired by a heavy metal album. Uh, There's songs that coincide with each of the chapters in the scenario, which are uh, it's a rock opera. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. It's really cool. Um, and it's yeah. uh, it's all horror inspired. It's all like focused on like warlocks and like war like warlock patrons and death. And it's very it's very horror. It's very heavy metal. It's really cool. Oh yeah, so that, yeah, I that's, think that's September first. So. Warlock is the best class. I mean, yeah. So I think in Warlock other like Ranger. um yeah tabletop role playing news, didn't um Free League's new Nordic fantasy Vason Vason yeah it did drop I believe did he did Vaisen they send is it? out yes you can yeah, buy you can, uh, anybody so you can buy Vason um actually uh, they came from beneath the sea is now purchasable on PDF and print on demand um, nice Vason's out freaking Free League's killing it uh Alien oh, and Morkborg won Ennies uh like four Ennies <laughs> So, yeah, brief, uh, briefly touching on the Ennies, it seems like Free League swept it. <laughs> oh, yeah, as big time. As far as a lot of their design work yeah. on Morkborg, which I took a second look at because it's been a while. I was literally that looking is, at it today. Oh it's it's gorgeous. God. It's it I mean, in my opinion, I think that it, it is the um, the best overlap of function and form. Yep. yep. And it's aesthetically pleasing you and you want to read it. Or huh? do you have the PDF? No, I have the PDF. Okay. Yep. I so want Alien... the book, but I didn't. I didn't back it. I think you have it. <laughs> so then, Alien I won. I think it was best game. Uh, yeah, so. Alien won best game. Which. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah. And then our friends. How do we, at how do we feel? How do we feel about Alien winning best game? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> yes. It should have. Yeah. It's so well crafted. It's, it's their first year. Yeah. So first year came out, they deserve the praise they got. Well, Morkborg just came out too. And I think mm-hmm. Morkborg was also up for it. Um, I yeah. think. I'm going to say something very dramatic though. Nobody Mark's going to be controversial. Oh, oh so what? off brand. <laughs> what? Um, no one is playing Morkborg as much as they are playing Alien it's online. True. It's true. To which I say, but that play more Morkborg. Game, you know, exactly. Sorry, what? It Wait, doesn't what? mean that Alien is necessarily the more fun game. It's everyone's preference, right? So we should... Sure. What I hear Mark saying is that he wants to really run Morkborg for us. Yeah, I'm hearing that we need to do some Morkborg. I could run some Morkborg. I mean, it's D6. <laughs> I mean, it's easy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm down to play it. It looks cool. But um, maybe, maybe so what's, maybe what's cool about like Alien... That. Go ahead. Sorry, it's the first time I've been in public with people. <laughs> in like a week. <laughs> Go ahead. Finally, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the cool thing about Alien, and I guess the reason why they probably deserved it this year, this is a big deal, right? This is a beloved IP, and they people take it. Alien seriously, and they handle there, it perfectly. Right? There are still some people to this day who are a little miffed about Alien Three, but then you have purists who love Alien Three. 
I like them all, so I don't give a crap, right? It's, I, a, it's a popcorn movie. I, it's I, enjoyable. I, I even I, I even like four. I do too. I even like four too. That's got the a good du- cast. He directed uh, he he directed Amelie. He directed Delicatessen, and he directed Alien Insurrection. Is that what it's called? No, that's a yeah. Star Trek movie. <laughs> or is it Resurrection? What? Insurrection yeah, is a Star Trek movie. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. it's uh, no, no. What's the tagline? It's Alien. It's not Alien Four. It's like Alien. Blah. Resurrection. Uh, yeah, it's Resurrection. It's resurrection, because she was resurrected. She <laughs> Which was I completely blanked on, which is why I said Alien 4. Until, I was like, and it's Winona an Ryder as an android? Yes, that's that's a good model. Yeah, it was cool. it's a great movie. I think, I think my Perlman. two... Ron Perlman is in it. It's so good. We've had this conversation, Ali- but you can also Alien see 3- Prototype Firefly. Al- Alien 3 and Alien 4 are probably my, my two favorite Alien movies. You okay. son of a bitch. So good. What's I, wrong okay. with you? Not it's gonna be, Mark statements. It's gonna be like this. It's gonna be like Alien One, Alien Three. Okay. Yep. Alien Four, Aliens. Aliens is my favorite. Dang. It's my least. It's my least favorite. One. Alien is oh. my favorite. I think it for me. It's one, three, Aliens, Resurrection. I still wow. like it's Resurrection. La- it's la- it's last on a lot of people's. I lists. love Aliens the most. Yeah. Um, and that I'm it, the dissenting votier. Well, uh, Aliens is more of an action movie uh-huh. than a horror movie. This is true. Which is why when I'm ranking them as horror movies, it's last. Well, not last, but oh, okay. it's um, it's more quotable out of all of them, though. I also, oh yeah, I also um, am excluding Prometheus and the new series for now because I actually really love it. I love it too, and I don't Me know too. where, it, but I don't know where it fits in. I have to watch Same. it more. Well, I think um, they're different. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I think they're, they're their own IP. They just connect. I want. Um, I like this trend of of. De- I'm I'm derailing us, but I I like this trend of of directors who had a like really really big couple of movies going back to older IP and seeing what they can do with it. And I kind of want Cronenberg to go back to either Naked Lunch or Videodrome. Videodrome. Is, is he still alive? I, I was just talking. Yes, I was just talking okay. about Videodrome at my day job so today. <laughs> were you really? Yeah, because we were talking about horror movies. Yes, yeah, I always so try to segue us into more interesting topics than anyone uh, else at my job talks about. <laughs> I don't know. What those movies are. <laughs> You're not um, good at the uh, oh, coffee talk. Really good. Yeah, I, okay. I I pop on work calls with like my other coworkers, and I just sit there and like stare at my camera and wait for them to stop talking. <laughs> no, most of my coworkers are actually really cool, and I like most. I like I like most of them. Cool. We're going to send this video to them now. Uh, yeah, anyway. That's fine. They will. I, I greeted them as friends and enemies the other day. Good. <laughs> and I was, and they were like, who's who? And I was like, figure it out. Yeah. Talk it's amongst part, yourselves. It's part of the uh, game. But I will say, to segue us onto our actual topic for tonight, Alien whoa, whoa, whoa. 1 captures my favorite theme in horror. And what's that? Isolation. <gasps> okay. I will... So... I think that, like, the way I view it is that the way my favorite themes flow in, isolation is the easiest for me to capture because, especially in a horror setting, sorry, I just read chat, especially in a horror setting, isolation is something you can do at any point in time and you can weave it in throughout a story. You don't have to do a ton of setup for it. Yeah, and we're all afraid of that. And it's easy to illustrate in the medium of film. 
where you just have a scene with one person and then have another scene with multiple people. And that's the best way that you can juxtapose and, and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of illustrate that one person's isolated. Um, which is interesting when you're talking about tabletop games. It is. Um, there's different ways you can do it. Horrors, obviously, you can do it in any genre of tabletop game. Horror is the easiest, and it's the most natural to fit it into. But I think that all you have to do is just get, have someone cut off. You know, splitting the party is a trope in tabletop games, but it means a lot more in horror because usually someone dies. Yeah, and they always they always tell you too. It, it drives me nuts when when game core books tell you not to split up the party or suggest that it's not a good idea to, but I mean, I would, I would recommend novice GMs don't because they're not oh, going to be as, it's hard. They're not, try. they're not going to be as good at making sure everyone gets equal playtime. Cause that's yeah. actually more challenging in my opinion. But if you know how to do that, split the party, right? Yeah. You can explore different themes with different players and, Give them what they want, but also, you know, incorporate more things that way, which is what I like doing. I, you know, my, my, what, one of the one shot scenarios I run for cons, that's like a core concept of it is splitting the party at some point. But that's challenging with a one shot. It is. It's really fun. Uh, I, 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 I use mechanics to bring them back together at some point, but yeah. But you also, sorry, go ahead. You actually bring up a good point, Ravnos, because when I was first doing one-shots for PAX Unplugged, the first time I've run games at a con, almost every single group split the party. And being that they were, some of them were new to tabletop in general because they were there with friends, um, and others were just completely new to the game, right? I feel that when you're doing a one-shot for people who are completely green, splitting the party is actually great as long as the ST is not green because it allows the other players to sit back and really get to reflect on the rules, what's happening, how things work without being on and in the action. It allows them to kind of step outside their own body and see what's what's going on. It allows them to like hammer home the rules and mechanics of how things work without trying to always be in character and focus on the scene. Yeah. And that's yes. a, that's actually a really good point. The putting the party gives the players who aren't currently in the spotlight the opportunity to, especially in a one shot, look at their character sheets, dig into maybe maybe they didn't have a chance to really read it through on their discipline, so they can kind of just get more comfortable in the skin of their character while right. watching other people roleplay. Yeah, it's a good preparedness moment. Yeah, there is another way that you can kind of give the feeling of isolation though without having to split up the party. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of my favorite things to do is making people feel like they are in, I mean, an alien world, making people feel like they are yeah. surrounded by the other, but so that they themselves kind of become the other. This is obviously um, something that you could do with cult easily yep. um, with vampire, the masquerade. Yeah. I mean, you could do it, but it's like the other kind of becomes either a different uh a different like class or a different clan or a different uh i feel like with vampires it's easier to do when you have less players in your game yes Mm. because you can focus on one player and what they're going out to do and surround them with mortals Mm -hmm. have like give them that isolation feeling where 
they're the most powerful thing in the room. They're a predator. Nothing they but when do. you're in a dance club and all of a sudden people start looking at you. Huh? Pulling out phones. Well, shit, that's not good. What do yeah, you notice? Not, and you're do not I the most dangerous. Yeah. What, do I have blood on my shirt? What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Do they know? Mm-hmm. Those, that's where you can take that concept and really have fun with it. I, so my other favorite theme next to isolation to explore in tabletop games is the other, otherness. Like, either making the players feel like the other or surrounding them with it. Um, not in a xenoph- xenophobic way, but like... Um, Alien is really good for capturing that. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is amazing at capturing that because that otherness is a core concept of cosmic horror. It's something I tried to do with my home V5 game, Providence, um, to, I think, varying degrees of success. I I definitely established a sort of alien nature to things that I think definitely got under you know some players' skins in an, an appropriate way. But... Um, talking about black miriam who's sitting directly behind me <laughs> um but are you talking about the worms yes that's all i have to say um, not to be not to be esoteric but one of the one of the player characters um had uh parasites, uh, parasites and we're, we're throwing up these like eel Cthulhu tapeworms things yeah. yeah and this was my player character's first introduction to the coterie. So essentially the coterie themselves kind of became the other to my player character because no one thinks this is really that bizarre. And they're all arguing with each other, like on a one-to-one emotional, like mm-hmm. coterie level. And I walk up and it's like, you guys are arguing about emotional shit while this girl is throwing up worms. Yeah. You were like, the fuck is going on? And it was perfect. Yeah. So Shut I'd up, like to think guy. I did a good job at it establishing an otherness in v5 but it is very challenging and you have to do things like run call of cthulhu that's secretly call of cthulhu when you're running vampire like i did <laughs> yeah it's basically we're, we're playing call of cthulhu yeah. well there's a there's an npc that, that i like to include in my cult games um which is a little old lady who is both creepy but at the same time kind of endearing and represents a kind of false hope where you are in a world of, I, I did this a couple of times with um, running uh, the summit where you're like in this city where everybody's fucked. Everyone is so screwed up and, and, and the, the group is just trying to like make heads or tails of all the craziness that's going on. That's going on. And there's a little old lady who's, who's grocery shopping with like this kind of uh, you know, kind of like the, the old women, kind of push around in, in Brooklyn. Like the, they look like, uh, like shopping carts. Um, and she seems to be very, very normal and very concerned for everybody who's there. Like you need to get the hell out of here. Cause this place is dangerous. Come upstairs to my apartment and I'll make sure that you guys are safe and fed. And that could go like, I was inspired by a character that, that was put in the, the summit, summit and I kind of, I kind of carried it. I carried it over, and I kind of went a little bit further with it. I was going to say, do you do you take it further? Um, she never. I never let her get to the point where they go, ah, she is or she isn't. Like it's oh, so that's always... more interesting. So, well, it's less dramatic, more engaging for a player like me. Mm. Not not having an answer is more fun than being shown an answer. Yeah. yeah, and most people will go. I am not going to follow that freaking lady, especially yeah, no. after what I saw. 
depends on what kind <laughs> of character I'm playing. If I was playing the character um, like I played in When Shadows Fall, I'd be like, nope, bye. <laughs> yeah. But if I was playing someone like Colin in Colt, I'd be like, yeah, great, cool. You got any whiskey? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe she'll show up. Wait, are you playing yourself? Uh, done. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I'm uh, you a philosophy teacher. Yeah, I played myself. Well, that's true. So we've officially dipped our toes into the topic of the night, mm-hmm. which is uh, themes that we love to see in horror. So I've got a list. I know you guys have some that you have in mind. Um, Mr. Mark, do you have any that you want to round robin? shoot off the bat here hmm favorite themes uh, yes so there is a there is a concept called sublime mm. and art history um they teach you this idea or like when you're looking at like a a um a piece of art that has like there's one that's really famous. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but there's a man that's standing on a rock and there's a huge storm going on in front of him. And there's a, like kind of off in the distance, there's a, uh, a ship that's kind of like torn asunder and he's about to get hit by this giant wave. So that's this idea called sublime, which is, you know, uh, violent, beautiful, dangerous, um, something involving nature, that's threatening to, to an individual, to either the viewer or the subject, but has not quite hit. And there's a, a thick tensity, yeah. uh, intensity that's, that is built based on that. It's like you can cut the tension with a knife in points like that. It's yeah. Great. And so, the, so that's a theme I really, really like to include in games where it's like really thick. You, the, the best example of this is when I was running V5 um, on Onyx Paths channel. Oh, when, yeah. They when they met the fisherman, who may or may not have been killing people, Des, uh, Des, okay, um, and he is a a very dangerous and he is very dangerous, Lasombra, but he's also very simple, and you don't know anything about him until he kind of walks up to you, and I like that. I like this kind of sitting in that thick, like sublime feeling. Mm. I, I like think that. That, that that shouldn't come as any surprise to anyone who knows how much you like cult because cult is really good at capturing that. Yeah, that's true. How would you work that into like not V5, not cult? Something you know, none of us are huge D&D players, but like in a game yeah, like Yeah, what would D&D, that look like in other games? Yeah. I was wondering that as well. So with with Dungeons and Dragons, there's a it's it's a really easy example and it's pretty common. I think on the red box, is it on the red box? One of the editions, one of the early, 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 early editions of, of Dungeons and Dragons had um, the party walking into the treasure room with a sleeping dragon. Yeah. That's okay. sublime. Yeah, that's that's fair. Or anytime you want to introduce a god in a low yeah, level oh, campaign. Yeah, a huge, like who can just take his finger and <laughs> squish okay. it. Okay, so in a non-role-playing sense, if you've seen Moana, mm-hmm. you're welcome. This is like when <laughs> she sees the big <laughs> crab guy and he's covered in shiny stuff. Yeah. Yes, and she thinks it's a mountain of treasure, like treasure. And then all of a sudden, it moves. Really? Yeah, yeah, shiny. Or re- when 
you encounter um the goddess as a volcano oh, at the end at the end yeah. like the first yeah, time it... you see her it's like oh okay yeah yeah um, it's a cool. cosmic cosmic horror is like perfect i guess yeah. it, it, i mean that's sublime yeah oh yeah yeah that's cool um i already oh, mentioned really two of mine um isolation and otherness um sublime kind of falls into otherness Mm-hmm. Mm. kind of so well it's it's how you feel towards that otherness i guess right yeah exactly it's like is it terrifying to the point of being awesome or is it confusing and both are good approaches for running that theme in my opinion yeah. obviously call of cthulhu Trail of cthulhu uh the yellow king games like that are really captured that in cult cult is very cosmic horror depending on how you run it um i like to incorporate horror themes when i do D, so it's easy for me to do it but um if you're running a game like like more of your standard fantasy air swords and sorcery style D or a game like root or something like that it can be challenging root i think is actually easy because you're playing animals so introduce another something else like predator yeah like a fish introduce fish like that would be a way to capture that like mammals versus amphib or mammals and reptiles like introduce a species they can't communicate with but is obviously as sentient as them if not more i like that yeah. concept that's cool that'd be a, that would yeah. be a way to do it what about you rick i'm not here to be asked questions that i do <laughs> Answer the fucking question. <laughs> okay. Uh so in preparedness for this topic, I I, quit, I did some research and I, I found some that I really like that I think are great to get into. And I'm gonna start with one because there is a game that I've been really interested in lately, especially after running it for the first time. Um Mummy the Cursed. Yeah. Explores <laughs> a lot more themes than I thought it did, especially once you read through that manuscript of the core book in a slow burn fashion, not as much of a, this is cool, but it's unfinished, so I'm going to wait. Yeah. No, I've been spending a lot of time with it lately and reading it, and there are so many different interesting and just downright, oh man, the sizzle with the steak feeling. There's a lot of great horror in here. Um. In fact, I'm going to touch on two of them, right? Yeah. Memory is a core function of Mummy the Cursed. You yep. wake up um, from your descent from the afterlife of the Duat back into your body. And you have no memory. <laughs> you maybe have a partial memory of what your last entrance into the world was, your last mission. But other than that, you you know what your God has told you to do, your judge, and what their will is. Because while you're in this afterlife, you're being tested and tortured and put through situations that are very much like a scenario in cult, mm -hmm. otherworldly, things that test you. It's funny because the powers in the game relate to the five different parts of the soul. Uh, name, shadow, spirit, uh, heart, and such and so forth. Anyway, 
like the um like captain like captain planet exactly like captain planet yeah and guess who's wheeler anyway um no but in all seriousness it um there's a f- interesting memory identity thing with that right mm-hmm. you wake up and you have to learn about your life the more you learn about your life the less raw power you have oh interesting. it's like Wait, the yeah, more the more scales. you learn the less you have so, okay yeah. so that answers my question i was i was saving two questions for you it, which is is it easy to explore themes of loss of identity and it seems like yes because you can be incredibly powerful but not know who you are um which i think is interesting but <laughs> I think we did. I thought he was like really digging what you were saying. That's good. any better. Yes, there. Um, he's okay. back. Sorry, I'm having internet issues tonight. No worries. Uh, so no it's worries. like, can you explore loss of identity in Mummy? And it seems like yes, because you it can seems be like it's all about powerful identity and not know who you. Are. Right. So you're relying on other people, but are these people like in my one shot? Are they the people you should be trusting? <laughs> Because you're supposed to have a cult that, that wakes you up and directs you in these places, right? I don't want to spend too much time on money, on mummy, but it's interesting that like shows like Altered Carbon, where you go from body to body. In mummy, you can also go body to body, yeah, time to time. It's kind of like Doctor Who in that way. Each inter each incarnation of the Doctor. It's the same person, but they're different, right? Yeah, and they they right. their personality changes. So this game is the same, but it's it's horror. It's supernatural horror. Question though, very yeah. important question. Can you play Quantum Leap? Yes. <laughs> this game is Quantum Leap. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's how you described it to me the first time, and I was like, yeah, right. I want to play that. Is there like a? The, it, it makes me wonder if there's like, and the answer is probably yes, because any GM can do anything with these systems, right? Um, so long as it's within the. Uh, setting in the, the broad framework yeah right but it makes you almost want to play around with the idea of the kind of shifting ego and id and that's another thing that i wanted to bring up so there's two things about this game that i think exemplify horror with memory and self-identity right let's say that during the last time you woke up you did your mission with the storyteller he told you a story set in a time period you die again you go back to the afterlife Let's say, Mark, you didn't do as good of a job as you probably could have done. And your defining pillar, your defining characteristic of your soul happened to be like strength and let's say like shadow. And your third strongest one is REM, which is your name and identity and logic. You didn't accomplish your task the way that your God wanted you to. You probably could have had a little bit more of column A than column B. So we're going to take Mark and we're going to put him through some horrible shit in the afterlife. And I'm going to take all of the points he has in column A and I'm going to put them into column B. And when he wakes up again, I want to see how this changes Mark. Because now he's not going to be so thoughtful or so emotional. He's going to be extremely willful and clandestine. See, that's the kind of Mark the judge needs. Mark doesn't need thinking, careful introspective mark this god at this point needs a demolition crew and so i'm going to take pieces of your soul 
and I'm going to mess with them. There's nothing you can do about that. And when you wake up, is Mark really the same Mark? That is such a great thing to role play, guys. Super yeah, psyched. No, absolutely. Well, that's and that's. I think it's a theme that that I noticed that you like to run with and that you like to play with is this idea of what is reality and what is the self in relation to that questioning of said reality. And this is something that is very easy for you to kind of navigate with games like Mummy and with games like Mage. Um, Mage in particular is my firsthand experience and how you play with those themes. Um, with Mummy, it's interesting because it's like, okay, we're literally going to unravel the wrappings off of you and then rewrap you up. And does that, I don't know this, I don't know the, the system very well. Does that mix up your, your statistics, your stats at some point? Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You wow. could have a completely different power set from jump to jump. Interesting. And that can happen like in a, within, you know, a story or within a session. It could happen probably within a couple of sessions. Cool. So it could be like, okay, this session, you're going to be in these bodies next yeah. session. Now we're going to mix it up. That's interesting. And that's, that's kind of goes back to that idea of, of kind of it's meta. Very, it's a very meta game from what my understanding. Um, would you, so it sounds like this would be a cool game where you could basically run each scenario as a separate jump, but each session yeah. is a jump if you wanted to do it that way. And you could, but you could, you could also space it out over so much time. So in the one shot I ran, I think there were four jumps mm -hmm. and they were all in different time periods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, you, you wouldn't normally do it that way because mm -hmm. if you're trying to do a campaign, you're probably going to space it out a lot, slow, much really slower, space burn, yeah. it out and have a lot more introspective and fun. But in a one shot, when you really want to show what the game is capable of, yeah, mm -hmm. jump and jump and jump. Do whatever you want. It's up to you. Um, Mark, you brought up a good one, and I want to ask you guys the same question, reality. And I think Ian will kind of approach this if I know him from a Call of Cthulhu standpoint. Mark might talk about this from a cult standpoint. How do you guys play with the theme of reality and what that is to the player and what that is to the setting in a horror game? Mark? Um, I do it like dreams. So I'll do it like you don't really know. When you're dreaming, things are happening that are wild and it's very Kafka-esque, so meaning you accept the reality at face value even though that reality challenges your normal perception of what reality should be. <clears throat> um. And then like shifting it from there and kind of going back to, okay, things are normal now and everything is fine. And that in and of itself of like things being uncomfortable and strange and accepting that and now things being normal. And now you have to accept the fact that you were accepting that things were bizarre. Yeah. That's kind of how I play with reality, I guess. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Kind of. Not really. Um, I, I'm sure you throw it to him. I approach... throw it to the cat. Uh, I approach reality in games when I want to use it as a tool from a philosophical standpoint. <laughs> um, I've talked about it a bunch of times. For those who don't know, my degree is in philosophy. Um, that's what I went to school for. Um, and the school of philosophy that I studied, that I specialized in, is um, 20th century continental existentialism. Which is very, very heavily about, like, what is reality? How do you um, differentiate things? What is, like, meaning? 
what what does reality mean things like that and the the idea is that reality is very subjective and everyone interprets reality differently um and i like to use that against players um more so in games like call of cthulhu obviously but i've done it a little bit in vampire where it's like two players will interpret a scene very differently and i can describe it and just let the players interpret it differently but i can also describe it differently to the two different players to push home their characters understanding the scene differently better um and that's something i really like to do yeah that's interesting because like you know like your emotions and your feeling of something doesn't exactly Mm -hmm. equate to fact and your perception or your um the way that you interpret something that you're observing doesn't exactly mean that's what's happening exactly um i often like to if i if i can isolate players for the description like if someone leaves the room and comes back i will describe the scene differently based on where they're standing um what i know the character's emotional state is at the time things like that um i play i tend to play with well you two and black Narium and a few other people who i know do are very 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 good at not using meta information in character so I, I'll, I, with your group, I can do it right at the table. I can just be like, you see the scene this way and you see it this way. He looks very yeah. aggressive to you and he looks very calm and docile to you. Like if I'm describing NPC, things like that. It's a good way to um, cause strife between the player characters as well to a certain degree. Um, right, then because then it's like, I know what I saw, man. And it's like, no, yep. he, yeah. he was fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, have, we have a friend who played in that game with us that ran it in a very interesting way where someone will walk into the room and be like, give me a role. And it'll be like intelligence composure, the resistance to like dominate. Right. Yeah. And if they fail it, they're like, this is, this is how the scene goes, but that's not how it really went. Mm -hmm. The player now doesn't know either. And like later on, something comes up and it's like, Oh no, you were commanded to do this at this specific time. When did that happen? When you walked in that room and failed your dominate role. Yep. You don't remember it. You can't meta it because I didn't tell you. Yep. Yeah, I've had jams that do that. That where they, they don't, they just are having everyone roll all sorts of interesting <laughs> things. And they don't tell anybody what the hell's going on. That can be spooky. Okay. Yeah, I think um, to, to touch on cons- consent briefly, you have to be careful with that. Yeah. Um, you verge on taking agency away from the player at that point, yes. which you have to know your player base. It's something that you want to be careful with playing with strangers. Uh, if you're playing with friends and who know are going to be okay with it, especially with the things you're doing, it's not a big deal. Um, I just do want to say like, mm. yeah, well, I mean, it's, I mean, that's something that's something that can be handled off the rip. Like this is the style of game in which I play. And this is the way that I do roles here. Um, I'm not going to tell you certain times I'm going to have you roll certain times and not tell you what you're rolling for. Are you okay with that? If you're not, that's just how I run games. So this might not be the best game for you. And then you'll be able to find someone who is. Um, but I think, I think it, I mean, it is important to be careful with that and understand that some people might, that's not the type of game that they're really buying into, or maybe they might be really, really like crunch heavy and they want to know specifically what kind of roles. And there are those types of players that are like, 
I like to sit here and do the math with it. And I want to, you know, they're the types of players that are offer like, Hey, can I roll at X and X and roll this? And they're the ones that do want to do some of those calculations on their own. And mm-hmm. it, you might be taking yeah. away some of the enjoyment of like one particular aspect of the game away from them. Yeah. Which is why we use consent forms, why we have conversations, <laughs> session zeros, things like that. Yeah. Let's be upfront. Question. Yeah. Um, unless you want to, unless you had another one. Um, I mean, I have lots of questions for you guys, but let's keep going. In terms of the, the different themes, and we can we can list tons of them, like both in terms of themes as subgenres of horror, but also themes that are separate from horror genres. But specifically regarding genres of horror, what themes work better with what subgenres? Oh. I need help understanding that question a, a little bit more. Well, so, uh, which part of it? Well, Rick, if you understood to answer it, maybe that'll help. Uh, a little bit. So you're talking about like um, two different themes working together. One is the primary, one is the secondary, and how do they complement each other? Kind of. It's kind of like what I mentioned earlier with like cosmic horror as a genre of horror, subgenre of horror. And the other works really well with cosmic horror because it's so easy to introduce it. Right. So we're talking about the storytelling Oreo. What What cookie fits with the cream really well? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've seen all kinds of bad flavors of Oreos out there. So, well, like what? Like, I, no, what, like what yeah, kind what, of what are Oreo cake, flavors? Carrot cake Oreos are a affront to God and man. Is that a real Oreo? Yes. I want to try that. Oh, Oreo. Wait, wait, wait. Do you like carrot cake? I mean, yeah, when it's good. Okay, so this is like bad carrot because I love carrot yeah, cake. It's like one of the too. only kinds of cake I like. Yeah, but is the is the worst carrot cake? Better, wait, <laughs> is the best carrot cake better than the worst Oreo? Yes. Yes. I would always argue that a good homemade carrot cake is better than a store-made cookie. Store-bought I would cookie. also say that Oreos are overrated. Oreos okay, are super so overrated. Our friend Rob, who is often a player, he's a player in a lot of our chronicles, but in our Gehenna, uh, Gehenna Valley. Yeah. Monster Hearts. Uh, he knocks it home with a home run. Red Velvet Oreos are the bomb. <laughs> so what is the storytelling red velvet oreo um let's see i think uh bugs by the way is how they make that flavor red velvet well, well thank how they that. used to let's see isolation i kind of wish they still used bugs isolation and xenophobia. there you go sorry isolation <laughs> and xenophobia work really well together yeah yeah um empowerment and displacement oh yeah i've got all this power but i can't use it it's Mm -hmm. like it's like superman has to pull every punch or he's gonna shatter yep every person he he, he, and i think there was even an animated thing where he was like oh good i get to let loose you know half the time i feel like i'm living in a city made of cardboard and i gotta be so delicate but no this is a villain i can beat the crap out of whoo about time right well, that's, I think, like, vi- violence and otherness would probably yeah. pair up really well. Because it's like, if your party or if, if from the game's perspective, you're, everybody's perceiving these as the other bad guys, it's easier to go, let's fight them with our swords. Um, as opposed <laughs> to, here's a, here's a, 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 a community of orcs who are just trying to live in connection with 
nature and the land. And unfortunately, they, they're very cranky and angry because their homes have been burnt down and displaced. So they decided that the cave next to this village is their new home. And it's like, I'm going to put my sword away and talk to them normally. Yep. Because it sounds like they are going through some hard times. So if yep. you like paint them as the other or like the dark and scary orcs in the cave dark, you go, okay, cool. I can fight these guys. It's right. it, there's a there's a dichotomy. There's a game called Midnight, which I'm I like. It's a I think it's three five based, um, and it's basically what if Mordor won in Lord of the Rings, um, what if Sauron won and controls everything now. So you are playing freedom fighters in this society ruled by evil. Uh, magic cool. it, it's super low magic because uh the bad guys steal everyone who have magic and either brainwash them and make them fight for them or they kill them and um certain races are very rare uh it's a f- interesting concept and it forces this sense of um kind of what you were describing where it's like the normal people in society are the bad guys yeah. So how do you interact with them? And how do you maneuver this society without getting killed? Because you start, unless you want to play a high-level game, you're starting at level one in a world where literally everyone can kill you. And you're like, meat's back on the menu, boys. But I'm level that. one, so I'm like... Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but you, play, you play the good guys. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard um, of it. I want to play it. It's it's interesting. I need to dig up the books. They, made a, they were working on making a movie at one point. Uh, Cool. I would also be okay with playing Lord of the Rings as the bad guys. I told you that idea, right? Um, oh, I have a D&D campaign based on that concept. That's so cool. I think it's like uh, uh, Morkborg is kind of like that from what I understand. Yeah, kind of. The people are broken. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I think, obviously, Otherness, Cosmic Horror. The, the one I like um, is pairing body horror with weird things. I was about to say, I think, yeah, body horror and yeah. self-identity. Yep. Identity. So that's like changed. Well, it, that speaks to Mark's favorite, which is the Nosferatu. Yeah. And it speaks to the entire game line of things like Changeling the Lost. Yep. Yeah. Or Promethean. Mm-hmm. Deviant. Deviant. Yeah. Like who, who am I in this world? What is my biology? And all of that. Right. I lost the boys because we're looking at chat right now, everybody. I'm here. And there's some... I'm listening to you. <laughs> I think that the... Uh, like, pairing body horror with weird stuff. Like, The Fly is a good example of that. Where it's like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's one. pairing body horror with romance to certain degrees. And you're like... Okay, why is this a good movie? Yeah, um, the remake of The Fly with... Um, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. yeah. Um... But also, you can pair body horror with isolation really well. The thing does that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But also, um, a naked naked lunch does that really well. Yeah, it does. That's one of the things I think the new Alien franchise does incredibly well is pairing yeah. unusual themes together into cosmic horror, sci-fi horror. There's like, there's an otherness with David, but there's also um, an identity 
thing going on and there's all like they they play with so many different themes it's why i think those movies are so good well i think uh, one of the things that are really interesting with with him that character in particular is like the other yeah the the other is you like yes you, you are other and i think that we can all resonate with that idea of first of all we're all kind of the main characters in our own little perception of of reality in this corner of the multiverse yeah, usually, right yeah but like at the same time we're all feeling we've all felt other we've all felt alien we all felt weird or different yeah sometimes even in your own skin right yeah oh big time body horror especially plays really really well with that of well, like yeah. i am the other like um, i mean i uh, w- w- the kafka story metamorphosis metamorphosis yeah right I'm I'm in my apartment. I cannot let my parents and the, everybody in the house know that I'm turning into a bug. Yep. There's a there's a sense of wanting to hold back in certain horror because you don't want to you don't want to sell you don't want to give away the cart with the horse, so to speak. That's that's not how that saying goes, but I don't care. Um, no, you don't want to you don't want to give away the cream to the cow. No, that's not it either. No, whatever. <laughs> It's it is a cart and a horse thing. You don't want to put the cart before the horse. That's what I was trying to think of. Right. Like you don't want to give away all of your horror at the same time. But I like yeah. to I like to front load to a certain degree. I like mm-hmm. to be like I like to hammer in a bunch of horror right at the beginning and then pull back on it. And oh, let that attention seep in. And then they don't know what else is coming. Yeah. Or yeah. they keep expecting more mm-hmm. and it doesn't come. And then like a couple sessions later. There's something. There's a big in, yeah. injection of something horrific um, or terrifying that I like. And then it's kind of like um, using tension as a bridge between events. I don't I do think, that enough. I think Candyman does that really well. Yes, because you see so many people being like, "Ah, oh, that's a fucking urban legend," and then like Candyman, Candyman, and then like, "Did you say it five times?" Oh, whatever. I lost count. And then later they're home and they're just like, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. And yeah. then they die. <laughs> and then they you know? die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and when you have it formulaic and then you get a payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But it, what if one it, of those pieces of the formula is wrong? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene in Evil De- uh, Army of Darkness where he's trying to recite the incantation to make the... Um, Nictu, Barata. <laughs> necktie. Um, yeah. Like, what if you, you have this huge lead up and then comedy is also a great thing to inject into horror to interrupt the tension to make the next point hit harder comedy also relieves and and i think sometimes even the comedy much like the showing the scary crazy thing happening um the reveal also releases that tension and sometimes you want that tension to kind of stick for much longer Mm mm-hmm with modern horror movies, um, postmodern horror movies, I guess, um, they have been for a while diffusing all of that tension, that delicious and valuable tension, mm-hmm. with jump scare and comedy. Yeah. Or, or big reveals. Like um, Cabin Fever. Yeah, the like Cabin Fever. Yes. Cabin Fever is a great example. We're using comedy to kind of diffuse it, and it takes the bite out of the horror movie. Yeah. But movies like. Um, I hate movies that movie like so much. It's awful, but movies like so Dead bad. Alive. Have you guys seen Dead Alive? Dead is Al- amazing. Yeah. Also known as Brain Dead. It uses comedy. Mm-hmm. Being a Lord of the it Rings. Uses, 
it uses comedy to kind of make the horror and more particularly the gore more palatable. Yes. So it's needed in order to make it not as disgusting because it's kind of funny and slapstick. There's so. also, mm. um, if you don't have something to break up the tension in horror, you, you start to get numb to it. So unless it's constantly ramping, which is also not great sometimes. Like you, Saw. You, yeah. You need, you need waves. Like Saw works because it's like an hour and a half, two hour movie. But the like, first the first movie works. The first movie is really good. Yeah, it's a great movie. But like if you're running a multi-session campaign that's just constantly getting more and more horrific as you go, either the players are going to get bored. Nothing is going to sh- shock them anymore. They're going to be like, "Yay, torture scene." Or like it's just not going to have the impact you want it to as you keep going. So having waves and like lighthearted moments and character development and growth and interpersonal relationship building outside of the horror is very important. You're talking about pacing and the- it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm talking about it, it. You, you, you need non horror to pace horror. Yeah. And, and I've often said that the most memorable parts of a tabletop game are not exactly the, the centerpiece that the GM has. Oh yeah. Yeah. like prepared so like those little weird moments or those little social moments or the things that the the botched roles like these are the things that everyone talk endlessly about to other people who weren't part of the game and try to bore them with all the details of said game yeah by the by the way stop doing that everybody <laughs> the tabletop industry stop doing that no one likes it but um it, it's if you're able to kind of pace those like horrifying centerpiece or big like tentpole moments with some of like you were talking about the social interaction and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff the emotional scenes that's important i mean look at the they came from beneath the sea game i ran or honest path gun fucking fantastic game the most memorable part of that game wasn't planned in any way shape or form (laughs) usually aren't right yeah those good moments um I was gonna say, geez, you were just talking about something, Mark, and I had something on the tip of the tongue the entire time. I was talking about uh, finding memorable mom- moments and pacing, using that with pacing, using a right. few other things. So it's funny because we're talking about different genres that kind of lead you to making horror great, mm-hmm. making horror shine by bringing other aspects of life to make life normal again, so that the horror can be horror, right? Yeah. And it's funny because it's almost like you really have to have a good sense and possibly even mastery or a lot of knowledge on how to run scenes that are primarily not horror to make a horror game really good. So some of those other themes that I had on my list were, which aren't really even horror based are, for example, we're talking about that. What pairs well? Um, Sacrifice. Yeah. Personal sacrifice. And and atonement. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, uh, you know, we talk a lot about games where you're a monster, right? Mm -hmm. We love those games. We like playing monsters. Maybe we're just horrible people. Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, um, but besides that, we play a lot of games where we are people in search of something strange or beyond or mysterious and those are a lot of the horror games we see as well. 
So how do you work in themes like sacrifice and like that? Is that like the Fox Mulder who is so obsessed with the truth that he loses his life over it? Like he doesn't have a personal life anymore because he's a dog with a bone. He's got to see what's behind that curtain, like in cult, right? You know, for or in Call of Cthulhu, you lose your mind because yeah. you learn more about what you shouldn't. One, not all, not all. Sorry. One one of the things I like to do is make the personal sacrifices seem insignificant. Oh, and then you learn later, like that was a personal and then bring sacrifice. It back around and re- make them realize what a big deal that losing oh, that was. Fuck. I needed that finger. Damn it. Now I can't pick my nose. <laughs> yeah. And that could have but saved yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah. Shit like that. The aliens come down and the God comes out of the ground. You must pick your nose quick, but I can't. Uh, I'll do but it the- for him. This is atonement. <laughs> this is horrifying. <laughs> Actually, that's another really good one. Atonement. Trying. Well, uh, it, it, yeah. Exploring redemption arcs in horror can be huge. Or um, and then like not being able to successfully do it. It can be bigger and more memorable than having a successful redemption arc sometimes to me. That I feel like comes out of an organic play. I feel like that in order to have, you can't, I don't think you could plan for that kind of arc. I think that has has to come out organically. I had that happen recently in a um, game I was playing actually, where none of that was planned. That trajectory of, what the character was going to do completely derailed, went into a direction I didn't expect. And then I'm not talking about your game. Are you sure? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's parallel. <laughs> so, Cause I just play bad people. So um, <laughs> I'm going to get off the couch now before I start talking about my mother who just <laughs> hopped into the thing to see us here. Um, right. Is it a Freudian? I'm just kidding. But seriously, um, Hi, Rex, no, I, hey, so I, <laughs> I was in a game where I had, I was going to be like completely sublime, right? And then I walk into the city, not knowing anybody, ran into someone who changed my mind completely and made me realize, wait, that's fucking horrible. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So then I become this long process of, all right, well, I'm a clan that's not even really welcome in the Camarilla. How do I enter the Camarilla? Oh, they, they do like a blood test. They put you literally on stage and verify that you're not there as a double agent trying to screw them over in the middle of court in front of hundreds of people who think that your clan is just a bunch of dirtbags and murderers. And why should they accept you here? And at the same time, everyone's judging you. But the person internally, the player, the character is feeling I'm finally fucking free of that monstrosity. I don't care if I don't belong here. I don't care what they think about my belonging here or not. Yeah. I've atoned for what I've done and now I can try and do something better. I can stop living as a monster and start living for myself or others. This is all new, right? It's uncharted territory for someone who is awful. And uh, it came, it was completely nothing I planned. Mm -hmm. It just, that's how the story developed. And I'm like, Damn, this is great. This is a good atonement arc I didn't even plan for. Yeah, because I think that, I mean, it needs to be uh, have that emotional connection to the player, right? Yeah. To, to have that kind of atonement. Same thing, I, I feel like the same thing with Sacrifice, too. Like, I'm a big fan of 
not telling them what their sacrifice should be or what kind of, what is a sacrifice What's or what would it, it's a, it's something that it's not like, oh, okay, I'm going to introduce this NPC and then I'm going to take that NPC away. And then that's going to be the sacrifice. It's like, if they don't care about that NPC, it's like, you can't make You can't make people bye, care about an NPC. You can't make them care about your plot hooks. And sometimes need, they, yeah, sometimes they care about something you don't even expect or that you don't right? want them to, which is, a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. Yeah, yeah. It like when an NPC they care about an NPC a lot, and you're like, he was supposed to be in for one scene. That's it. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, there's a meme. It's like you 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 run out of names introducing. They're like, well, what's the goblin's name? And you're like, Dribbles. And they're like, we've adopted Dribbles. He's our mascot now. He will be everywhere. And you're like, fuck. Okay. Actually, his name is my son. Okay. Well, um, I need to come up with the actual character now um my favorite is when 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 there's with vampires it's easy to do this when they offer an npc for you for the players to fall in love with like when somebody has a ghoul and then everyone everyone at the table loves that ghoul that's my favorite like when they fall in love with something with, with a player character's ghoul is the best alexander <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't love alexander you're a monster. <laughs> you leave Alfred alone. He's, He's a, a means to an end. <laughs> He's okay. He's a treasure. You you take that back. <laughs> I don't dislike him. I just everyone but you loves Alexander. I think as myself, I think he's great. Yeah, right. Yeah, but uh, as my character, Luca's my character's like, like okay, oh. guy. Yeah. yeah, he's like you're cool. But that's that's Luca. Like he's very kindred. Um, he wouldn't like anyone's school. Right. There's a there's a theme that I personally struggle to incorporate into games. Um, that I want your takes on. I think this is definitely a. I don't think this is something where it's not a big deal. I think it is a failing to a certain degree. Um, part of it's because I'm male, but part of it's also because it's not something as a player that I've ever wanted to explore in a game, and it's romance. I was I, I was wondering about that. Um, I'm not good at incorporating romance into my games as a GM, um, and I'm it's it's a core theme that a lot of games. I mean, there's Monster Hearts runs on it. What um, what advice do you have for people who that's a theme they want to work in, um, and they aren't sure how and what, especially in horror, where does it fit in? Um, I think that I would say that I'm probably not the best person to, to talk about this because I don't really like to explore this theme either. However, um, I think that the, if you, if there is going to be a player that has a NPC, that's really important to them, like a, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever. Um, and they want that. And it's, it's like, you know, it's like it's really important that this boyfriend is part of my character's being. It's like okay, okay, okay. This is your touchstone, and with V five especially, there are touchstones. I mean, it makes it systematizes a little. V five makes it easy. There's literally it makes it mechanics easy. for it. There's mechanics for it, but it doesn't make it any more easier for people like you and I. But I think what yeah. would make it important is to have a very, very one to one conversation about mm-hmm. not just like a, a session zero with that one person, but like 
let's only talk about this NPC for you. Let's figure out what they mean to you, what you're trying to get out of it, and what you what what, what I can do that will make you give you the satisfaction you're looking for with that NPC. Right. Because the most uncomfortable thing in the world is for me to look at an, at a, a player at a table and go, Oh, Hey baby, you know, and yeah. it's, it feels weird. Um, <clears throat> but that's just cause I'm a emotionally dead inside like me, emotionally dead inside new Englander. So these things are uncomfortable. Yeah, we're emotionally dead inside. It's fine. That's how we operate. <laughs> but no, but like, if it's important to a player, you need to explore that. What, like you said, what, the, what are the expectations So if it's, and I think a really, really good, I think if you're looking for a, a, a way where you kind of tread that line a little bit and the way that is, is I, I feel like it's probably one of the the best ways to handle this is um, it's Chicago by night Mm -hmm. ran by Clara Herbal. Oh yeah. On Redmond role playing. So good. And the way that it's handled with, Two characters in particular that have have was it loved Michael? ones. Mm-hmm. Well, oh yeah, there's two. There's two. That's right. And, and so Dawkins' character is like this very intense, very scary, like uh, uh, American Psycho type character. Said I. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he's really kind of emotionally abusive to his like girlfriend in this yeah. in, in this game. But you could tell there's been some prep ahead of time there's been discussion ahead of time that's crazy. what is okay what what and isn't okay Th- this is important and because of how red moon role-playing runs their shows like a radio drama you you miss that um yeah. the way we do things i think that conversation would happen publicly oh yeah oh yeah um, there's yeah so it's sure. important to know to a degree like that conversation did happen it did yeah. for sure and and it happened in in like pre-production meetings. Um, but, but it's, it's handled even then it's handled really, really well. Yeah. yeah. Because even when you're seeing it without seeing that session zero, there's a, there's a dichotomy between the player and the GM that, you know, for sure that this was discussed prior. Yeah. Yeah. We, I highly suggest you listen to red moon and, uh, pariah Jones. If you want to talk about that sometime, uh, I'd love to recommend, some of the stuff they've done. They're mm-hmm. so good. He mentions me pretending to be Wes's mom, which is one of my favorite interactions uh, as an what? NPC. Wes is, uh, what, uh, what is his character's name? Oh my God. We haven't played Colton way too Some long. Some kind of detective, uh, de- right? Detec- detective Burn. Burn. Yeah. Burn. yeah. Burn's mom and uh, Erica's character. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Great. <laughs> and you did my na- Nanny yeah. too, didn't you? Nana. Yeah, Nana. Yeah, no, like you did. You do mothers very well. <laughs> Mark's all about that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I play to my audience. Your mom. You're such a good mommy. <laughs> no, I. Th- there's something about a maternal older lady that I just really like to embody. <laughs> really like to embody as a GF. There's something about it's. It's welcoming. <laughs> I could almost smell like the. The food that she was cooking, I think I well, that's great. Like, oh, that's what I could tell. Them. Like, you were, you just got into it, and I was I like, so into it. This is this is very on point. It's really good. You <laughs> do, you do family very well, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> you portray family very well. Yeah. I think it was Elias's big mom energy. 
I was channeling my grandmother with Detective yeah. Burns' mom. Oh, yeah. And I was also channeling my friend's mother from high school, who was very much this, like, older Polish, like, grandma-type lady who wanted to cook for everybody. <laughs> that's too funny. Um, uh, so romance. That's, see, that's better. Yeah, than, that's better for me than romance. I could do familial, yeah, love better than Cho- romance. Yeah. Choosing moms choose Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, back, back on track. Kid tested. Mother approved. <laughs> This is a rated R stream slash podcast, just to remind folks. <laughs> content warning, content warning. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, uh, romance oh. stuff. How do I handle that? Oh, boy. I like to think, and sometimes it's weird. Probably have issues. Sometimes I'm very emotionally detached. Things do not bother me. Yeah. But other times I'm a big emotional baby. Very emotional person. I'm a cancer. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. True. But regardless, um, I have been developing more as a player and more as a storyteller and how I act out different things. And uh, one of those things is also romance. And I think you kind of nailed it on the head with Red Moon. It's a great source of inspiration example. I thought, you know, you brought up the Dawkins character and his girlfriend and how he's a little emotionally detached, but he's obsessed with her in a good way, right? Do yeah. anything for her. And if anything hurts her, like a true touchdown, he goes wild. Yeah. Yeah. I thought a really good, healthy relationship was, um, I think it was Michael. Yeah. Yamar's, Yamar's character. Yeah. And his, oh my God. And so his boyfriend who he's playing a Nosferatu who's been hiding the fact that he is a kindred via mask of a thousand faces from his boyfriend for like a year, three years. Something like that. And he finally comes clean about it, right? But before he even does that, they have issues like, it's funny, the broken one is the mortal. He is a drunk. And the one without the problems is the kindred. Mm-hmm. And it's, as the show goes on, I became emotionally invested yeah. <laughs> in these two characters reconciling. Yeah. And I really wanted this to have like a happy ending. Because they invested so much time, energy, great story, interesting twists and turns to it. Um, yeah. That was great. I think that's a model example for how you can run romance without it being romantic. It doesn't have to be, we're sitting down at a table, there's candlelight, and I'm flirting with you. It doesn't yeah. have to be that at all. It can be simply you caring about someone that is supposed to mean a lot to you. I think Tales from the Loop which uh, kind of gets lost in the, is it sci-fi? Is it horror? It's meant to be both, right? Yeah, it's sci-fi horror. So they have the whole, it's kind of like touchstones. It's um, your cornerstone, I think it's called, right? Yeah, I think so. You have someone that when, because you don't die in this game, you're a, a kid, right? When right. you get broken and you need to replenish what's up, you go talk to that someone who's special to you. I thought that was great reading the core book. I haven't played mm. it yet because it automatically as you sign up for this game, you realize if I really go through some shit, I'm going to have to talk to someone that is supposed to mean a lot to me. Yeah, and it, I think yeah. automatically it puts the onus on the player to say, because sometimes in games like Vampire, when you got a touchstone, you're like, all right, well, I really like my grandma and I'm going to base her off my fifth grade teacher who I really like. She's the only woman to care about me. And then you're like, okay, maybe I'll role play that. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. sometimes that happens is it's not the intention you're going in to play the game whereas with tales from the loop i think right off the bat when it's like the expectation is oh no when you are and you probably will be broken mm-hmm. this is someone you're going to have to go see to fix yourself so it causes people to really pause and be like what is something that like when i was young what is something that i sought for solace who did i really turn to and how can i role play that so it's it's going to be much more like you going to Mark and being like, Mark, you're the best mom out of the three of us. I know you can role play Graham and Nana really well. Maybe I'm going to go make banana bread with you now. And uh, you're going to sing me uh, railroad songs. So <laughs> what, what, you're to sa- America. what you're saying, what you're saying with Tales from the Loop is that there are many opportunities for me to play a mom. So many. You should buy it right now. Can I, I, no. I, I do like that concept, though, because there is not the playing of the mom. But the 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 idea of having to verbalize all the crazy stuff that's happening, like you run to that person, whether it's a dad or adult or or even a friend, um, and you go and you talk about the thing that just happened that's crazy or 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 intense or like ah, this crazy technology that we found and I lost Billy and he's down a well. And you have to talk about the scenes that happened earlier, which helped the player mm-hmm. connect with yeah. the character yeah. even more. Yeah. And what I like about that even more is sometimes, you know, one thing I've come to like about playing VTM with other people I don't really know very well, especially in a play-by-poke setting, is when you're meeting someone for the first time and you're like, out of character, I know this is a kindred. In character, I don't, right? So you have to kind of tiptoe around the truth, maybe pepper in a couple of things here and there that only a Kim would know. And then there's the aha moment where you're like, okay, we can talk now. Let's go to this VIP area and really discuss yeah. the nature of how we are. Yep. With I feel like there's a part of that in Tales from the Loop or even if you're playing any game with someone who's romantic, what if they don't really know what's going on? No matter what the setting mm-hmm. is, you have to talk to someone that you're supposed to really love and care about. Now we're on the topic of romance. This is also touchstones and people you, you just care about in general. But right, yeah, yeah. What if there's something that you saw that was so horrible that you can't tell them because it would break them? Yeah. yeah. And worse, it might draw them into this world, right? Yeah. Yep. Especially with cult, you've got the sleepers and you've got people who are partially awakened to the real reality of what's going on. Or Call of Cthulhu. If I tell this person this, they might lose sanity points. Or yeah. worse, they might hate me. They yeah, might think got- I'm crazy. They won't love me anymore if right. I tell them what's really happening. And I'm worried about myself and my connection to them with being able to unleave myself of the stress of the things that I've gone through. Is this going to break my relationship with this person? Am I going right. to lose my wife, my grandma? Are they going to really put me in the loony bin? Yeah, that's they, a fear, they right? They, they won't believe you. Right. And it'll turn into, that will turn into a conflict. Yeah. And there's an aspect of protecting the ones you love which I think is a theme in and of itself, separate from romance and relationships and things like that, that is really important. I do want to touch on one thing very briefly, just because it's important. Um, with that concept in Tales from the Loop, I, I appreciate that that's very much destigmatizing therapy to a degree. Oh, totally. And like making it a mechanic in the game is very interesting. Oh, um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that clicked in my head it's like, really smart. Wait a I'm minute. glad you said that. Yeah, like it it's mechanically destigmatizing uh psychology and therapy. That's actually really smart. Yeah, because there are it's bizarre to me that there are people that are, that there are people that are uncomfortable with that idea. 
of therapy? Yeah. I've always had it. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be. No, no, no. I know. I, it's it's a mental. Uh, it's a mental. You're block. fixed. I just told you not to be, so you're fixed now. <laughs> no, it, it works. It's um. <laughs> you're welcome. For me, honey. it stems from bad experiences with it, actually, yeah. or not not like negative experiences, but like this not is a huge tangent results. and very personal. Um, mm-hmm. There's no results. Yeah, I've had that same issue, and that's yeah. why I've, I've always felt it was useless. Um, that's be- but that's better. That's better than the people that are like, no. If, oh, and like try to talk only, other people out of it too. Yeah, no. Yeah, like they're, that are just that. totally shutting the doors on that. On yeah, that option. No, 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 no. I think I th- it still has value, and it's still something I would I want to explore it personally. Um, I just have to find the right person. I think yeah. in general, um, and I think maybe these games bring out a good aspect of that is just talking with your friends, right? Yeah, yeah. Even in yeah. a way that might not be. Uh, and you made a good, great point with it. It's it's mechanical in an aspect of that one game, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's funny how many times we role play things, and you're not role playing yourself, but something will happen that will resonate with your life, and that's some. You're kind of cutting out, but I think that I understand what you're saying. Is that your character is going through something intense, and you can apply what you already know. And put at least some kind of an emotional connection to it. And if you're playing out a conversation or a monologue or what have you, mm-hmm. you can play out some of those things that you have already have existing inside of you. I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah, exactly. When my character and when Shadows Fall was 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 starting to lose it. Yeah. Um, with the with the girlfriend and everything else. It's like it, I I kind of took things that I have applied to, you know, ex-girlfriends in my head and applied it to said character. Mm-hmm. And I've come to find out that the the writer of When Shadows Fall was like, well, yeah, when writing this character, it's having an ex-girlfriend that was lost to the shadow. I mean, of course it's one of my ex-girlfriends. Why wouldn't I throw her into the shadow? <laughs> but like writing what you know and playing what you know and at the very least having an emotional connection in your brain yep. helps you to be a better player. Yep. And, you know, as when Fifth Ed really first first started coming out with V5, um, you know, Jason Carl was kind of like the spokesperson for a lot of what we saw with V5 and some of the details. And uh, I really liked a lot of what he had to say about how, and he, he still says it to this day, but you're role-playing monsters so that you can better identify the monsters in real life. Yes. And yes. what it takes to not be a monster yourself. Yep. 100%. Right. It and, helps. Uh, it helps mindfulness. Yep. Yeah, and that really maybe helps solidify why I really loved this game in general. It kind of made me realize, you know, this is a this may be fantasy, but it's still experience nonetheless of dealing with other people and dealing with hard situations. And as Neil in uh, Pariah in the chat just said, you know, it can be very cathartic, right? Uh, role play is uh, intensely cathartic for me. Um, I've always used it as a outlet um that's one of the reasons i play horror um circling right back around (laughs) to themes and working them into horror um this is this is weird to say i'm not really afraid of anything personally um you heard it here you heard it here first folks he is 
not afraid of anything. <laughs> not not bears, nope. snakes, no. like spiders. No. Krista. No. Krista. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired. <laughs> no, it's um just gonna kick your ass now. The thing that I like in horror is the tension and the anxiety that it drives. Um, there's no like, like I don't think jump scares are scary or good horror Same. because I'm like, you surprised me. You didn't scare me. You're um, startled. You're startled. Yeah. You're not scared. Um, so I use the themes that I've talked about in order to drive emotion and emotional reactions, and that's what I enjoy out of horror that's why i play with the themes that i play with in horror um that's why even as a player i try to incorporate my favorite themes into the game i try to talk with the gm and say these are the things i want to explore with my character um so i think that the catharsis for me in playing horror games is getting the it's almost a re um, emotional release but at the same time it's also a it's a men it's being a, it helps me break down mental barriers for certain things um that i yeah. don't get out of other horror media mm. even because it's 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 the definition of hot media it's your because you you have cold media it. which is just kind of throwing information at you, exactly. and you hot media which you have to engage Punch. in exactly. and it's well. and it's even more hot than say video games which is that's one of the reasons why I like tabletop gaming more, more than, than video, video gaming games, yeah. because video gaming to me feels cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So full disclosure, I've had a hard time playing video games since becoming really into mm -hmm. the tabletop. tabletop. Yeah. yeah. You don't get the same uh, engagement with it. Yeah. I found. Yeah. You're always going to find something wrong with it, too. You're going to be like, why can't my character do this? It's like, well, because the programmers have, like, <laughs> so many hours in a day. limited memory available. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so in kind of wrapping this concept, that was kind of my closing statement, I guess. Um, what do you think, what drives you to play horror games? I was going to bring that up as a topic myself. Yeah, hey. I think horror is my bread and butter because with horror opposed to other genres, it takes in, like we said before, it, it's really not apart from those other genres. It's a part of life. Those other parts of life, like when you see a comedy, those still have other genres in them. They just focus on yuck yucks and stuff more <laughs> romantic comedies yeah. still have, or even romance movies still have comedy. They still have tension. They might even yeah. still have some thrilling moments, right? Nothing is ever completely separated as a genre. There's nothing, I don't think that's a pure this or that. It's just life. Life is too complicated to be a part in 100% its own genre. Mm -hmm. Horror I like because there's typically more at stake. As soon as you say horror, it's like anything goes. Yeah. When you're talking about fantasy, you realize that there are going to be fantastical elements it's probably a different world. It's probably creatures. It's likely going to be an adventure. There may be a couple of monsters that might be scary. That might not be scary, but they might be overpowering. But that's just another hurdle to overcome. That's just another couple levels of me killing these pigs to get XP so I can fight this owl bear thing. Mm. Right? That's yeah. It's part of the process. People like that. That's great. 
horror. As soon as you know you're playing a horror game, you know that this could go off the rails into something that might scare you as a player. Maybe it won't scare you. Maybe you're like Ian and you don't get scared, but it allows you the freedom to express things in a genre where, like I said, anything goes. Kid gloves are off when the horror label is on the story. And I think that allows the most freedom of expression in a story when you can take it to those extreme limits. Yeah. Even if it's not something that's completely terrifying, mm-hmm. it could be incredibly mundane, but if there's still enough to make you feel that kind of pressure, that paranoia or that thing that might be beyond the veil, that yeah. that can be enough to really draw in the other emotions on that spectrum that might not come out of just a pure comedy game might not come out of just a pure fantasy game. I, I feel like you just have it all when you start from horror and end with whatever the story became. Yeah. It might not end. A lot of our sessions that we play, no matter what the game is, do not end on a horror cliffhanger. Oh my God, something horrible happened this season, this, this session. It yeah. often ends on a very personal level because in a horror setting, you are trying to survive. You are trying to live with what you are sometimes. And when you have other players going through the same thing, you tend to have more player connection and relationships. It it tends to be more personal because it's like going through a war, right? You have that camaraderie of the people who are going through the same thing you are. And sometimes you might be all you have. We're playing cult with Mark. And I don't know um, some of the other characters from the other person on the street. I've met them. We've been in character with each other for what, a day or two? Yep. Yeah. And we've gone through some real shit. And right now I'm stuck in a room with them that might be leading to hell with some other crazy people we ran into. As far as I know, the people that I just met seemed fairly normal. They're probably not going to stab me in the back. I need to quickly decide that I need to care about them because they are now all I have. They're my only possible tether to what was once normal reality. Yep. And I might, I might die trying to protect them just because it's like trying to protect a version of myself that believes that normal is still possible. Mm -hmm. It's called, that's why I play horror. Yeah. It's a, there's um, this concept of fear bonding. Yeah, uh, soldiers. Yeah. The situations you're describing, it's very much becoming very close to someone very quickly because of a traumatizing experience. Mark, so pregnant pauses. I was thinking. Um, I think that the, I think when it comes to because you said a lot there, Rick, and I think that that <clears throat> horror having the ability to really include any other genre is one of the big reasons why um, I enjoy it. But I think the biggest reason is that we are all human beings. Um, we all gravitate towards horror. Um, we gravitate towards the color red. We gravitate towards, um, and not just blood, but just to kind of recognize danger. Um, this is part of our programming so that we know to recognize um, when danger does come, we can avoid it. Yep. Um, I also think that, you know, being humans in a first world society, um, there's different types of emotional trauma that we have to kind of process. 
And at the same time, we have a very much lack of um, physical trauma. Most of us in our day to day. So there's a, for everybody, people who aren't into, who say they aren't, aren't into the horror genre and those who are people who say, I don't watch scary movies. They scare me. There's something that they like and that they dig that has horror involved with it. And the reason being is because in a, in a very safe first world environment, um, part of the escape from the mundane is to feel like you are in a sense of, of physical danger. Also, we are, are programmed mm-hmm. to feel excited when we're running away from the beast that we're hunting, yeah. um, whether that beast is ourselves or, or somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the horror genre is, is the most popular genre out there. Um, horror movies are always going to be a popular thing. Uh, true crime is one of the most popular genres of, of books and, and documentaries out there. And some of the most normy individuals really dig some of that crazy, creepy, true crime stuff. They just don't tell anybody about it. Um, I like tabletop games that have a full range of emotion. And I think that horror is probably the best way to do that. Most of the horror tabletop games that I've played have allowed that wide berth of experience to play um, and incorporate things like comedy to have something that's maybe crunchy with a lot of rules and a lot of systems, but at the same time, huge opportunities for role play, which is, which is the part that I really, really dig. Um, and I think that that's dynamic. Um, other games that are not in the horror genre are so compartmentalizing and, and kind of uh, shrinks your ability to include some of those other themes. Um, horror is the one to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually why I started looking into playing horror gaming again. I was playing a Star Trek Adventures game as my first getting back into tabletop after a long lapse. So I played for a while with some friends. First time ST for that. Did great. Loved the story. Liked the people I played with. But there was a certain point in playing that where I just realized, and I was reminded, uh, there's some things you can't do in that setting. Yeah. And it's not even that it was anything uh, weird or appropriate or it just didn't fit the story. It didn't fit the genre. And I was like, well, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. yeah can you can, like, how many times have you been watching something and it goes like a little creepy and half the audience is like, ah, oh, what are we watching here? Oh, come on. But in like a horror movie, if there's comedy, everyone's willing. Oh, <laughs> a joke. Okay. Or like, oh, there's romance. Cool. It's acceptable, right? Yeah. Oh, there's, Oh, there's there's children playing pretend. That's cool too. What else we got? Give me everything because we're uh, yeah. we're here for horror, so we're here for the full range of the human experience. Yep, that's a great great point. Yeah, I think when people are watching a romantic comedy, they don't they don't want scary. They don't want body horror in their romantic comedy. <laughs> How unacceptable! Call me old fashioned, I, but I do. I do. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> could you imagine like a a, a um. Uh, Total Recall. (laughs) You got the guy with the like the thing baby on his stomach. Quaid, open your mind. And it's like imagine like a romance where it's like you are some beautiful woman in the sky, right? And it's like we've been dating for a while, and I got a secret. Next thing you know, it's (laughs) you get praying from Ninja Turtles. (laughs) It's like, do you still love me? And the audience is like, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) There's actually a movie. 
about kind of that idea. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there, there is. is. Yes, there is. It's a horror movie, though. Not yeah, a there's, comedy. there's a cup. Mm, there's one that's <laughs> the one kind I'm of thinking a whole, of. Uh, is the one you're thinking of have vagina dentata? No, <laughs> but I know that I'm not thinking of teeth. It's teeth. That's it. Isn't that kind of a oh, romantic yeah. comedy? Yeah, it is. It's a romantic horror comedy. Yeah, or, really? Horror. It it's a, so it's a horror romance. It's not really a comedy. I mean, it's, it's a, a comedy because it's funny, but it's funny because we're twisted. Yeah, you'd like it. Yeah, Rick. it's good. Watch Teeth. You'd like it. Just it's, Teeth. It's really good. Same movie. It's good. It's actually a really good movie. Yeah, it's well written, well acted. There's also Tromeo and Juliet. Yes, that's a good one. So I think um, that's probably a good place to end tonight's mm-hmm. conversation. Uh I feel like we could probably have a part two to this conversation. Oh, I yeah. think there's a lot well, there's more a lot to explore themes. with this topic. I think so, too. You want to end on teeth, says Big Dad? Uh, <laughs> I will, yeah, I do. I do. I, th- I, like, I feel like that's the perfect place to end. We had a good uh, World of Darkness meme going around this week. Mm-hmm. That was, um, my sexual orientation is the scene in Queen of the Damned where Akasha and Lestat bang in a bathtub full of rose, rose petals to while Deftone plays. And I'm just like, that was a scene, and I like looked it up, and I'm like, "Heck yeah, that's awesome!" Best scene in the it movie. Why do you forget about this? Best scene in the movie. That movie sucks. No comment. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I think she played a good ancient. No, Aaliyah was great. Good. Yeah, she's she was the, the only terrible. one. Did you not? Do you? Was it um, <laughs> Lu- Luis in that movie? Louis? No. Yeah, he like shows up oh, in the yeah. background with like like yeah, he's like but it's yeah, some he's other there. guy. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Anyway, um, so I just wanted to say uh, we do have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. We're going to be doing our um, Horror Redstone Academy at uh, August, um, August 11th, 8.30 not, p.m. 8 Eastern. PM. Yep. 8 p.m. August 11th, Eastern Time, Tuesday. That's right. Uh, which is going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot of fun. They came from beyond the grave. Um and then we also have the next episode in our Saturday Night One Shots, which I acronymed to SNAZ. <laughs> uh, that's coming up soon as well. So Snaz stay days. tuned for what fantastic game we're going to be playing. And then we have all of our other wonderful programming. So uh, Cult Divinity Lost we'll be back Good soon. Intentions is going to be coming back very soon. Yes, it will. Excellent. All right. So I just want to say thank you, everyone, for tuning in on twitch and this episode will be airing on our podcast on sunday so make sure you don't miss it other final announcement from me and then rick has something to say we will be releasing our actual plays as audio only podcasts in the near future so stay tuned for that as well there's a, a person in the chat with really cool points earlier uh just another guy named harry mm. and go out on a limb guess that your name is harry um or he's asking, just really harry Maybe is asking what the panelists' names are, which is probably us. That would be so us. I think, he, yes. I think he missed the introduction. Mm. Um, oh, notoriously, we have not introduced ourselves. Yeah, we do it all the time. I am I am Marcosius, otherwise no, otherwise known as Mark. I am Ravnos, otherwise known as Ian. And, this... and I am Def Malkavian, and my name is Rick. So, or thank pickle you. pickle Rick, as they call him in the streets. Sometimes, sometimes. More than the streets. Because um, <laughs> he's, he's got a real big pickle. Jar of pickles. Uh, Pray set. Um, anyway, you can find us on uh, our Twitter, mm-hmm. Hannah Gaming, Facebook, 
same thing. Anywhere you type in Gehenna Gaming, you're going to find us. All the links are available in the show notes or below. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Yes. Buy buy a t-shirt on Threadless. Yeah, that too. GehennaGaming.Threadless.com Hey, Ian, do we have other merchandise now? No. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Soon. Soon. Are we going to get a... Are we going to get like a Ravnos action figure? (gasps) I'm ending this. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com on Twitter at GehennaGaming Twitch.tv slash GehennaGaming and Patreon.com slash GehennaGaming And remember Your mother's in here with his cash. Would you like to leave a message? I see that she gets it.